67 Bend Lapine High School students of color gathered with adult facilitators October 11th, 2018 in a town hall. Let's talk about race. The following conversations with six Bend Lapine High School students and four facilitators who were at that town hall originally aired on December 14th, 2018 on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Welcome to the Radical Songbook, sisters and brothers. I'm your host, Michael Funky. Thanks for tuning in to KPOV at 88.9 FM, where we are streaming live and archived at kpov.org. Before I get too far along, I should tell you that the views and opinions expressed on the Radical Songbook are mine alone and those of my guests and do not reflect the views of the KPOV Board of Directors, KPOV staff, underwriters, sponsors, or any other DJs or volunteers. History was made on October 11th, 2018, when 67 students of color from all five high schools in the Ben Lapine School District came together at Central Oregon Community College for a town hall conversation. Let's talk about race. The town hall was organized by the Restorative Justice and Equity Group. Sponsors included the Bend Education Association and the Latinx, Native American, and Afrocentric Studies Clubs at COCC. Local activists in the Restorative Justice Group and the Teachers Union worked for several months to pull the town hall together and to convince the school district and high school administrators that students of color face unique racial and cultural issues at their schools and would benefit from getting together to talk about the racism and bullying they experience. This edition of the Radical Songbook brings to our community the voices of students and facilitators who participated in the town hall. I interviewed four facilitators and six students for this show. I also relied on the results of a survey of the racial climate that students experience at school. This show is not meant to be an all-encompassing look at racism and bullying in our schools. I haven't talked with school board members, school administrators, or teachers. I did not search out rebuttals to what the students and facilitators told me. I am letting their words speak for themselves as voices across the racial divide. I spoke with Joan Song, a senior at Summit High School, Michaela Young, a senior who transferred to Mountain View from Bend High this year, Jay Nichols, a senior at Lapine High School, Darian Wilson, a junior at Lapine, Angie Acevedo, a senior at Bend High School, and Gabriela Hernandez-Garcia, also a senior at Bend High. I also spoke with four facilitators, Karani Mitchell, Marcus Legrand, Gordon Price, and Oscar Gonzalez. All are people of color. This show will be archived and available as a podcast at kpov.org. Students spent much of their time at the town hall in small circle groups with a facilitator to help guide conversation. They also watched a couple of videos on racism in Oregon high schools, engaged in a chalk talk on racism, and responded to survey questions about the racial climate at their schools. Gabriela Hernandez-Garcia a senior at Bend High, spoke about some of the issues the survey revealed. Definitely at my high school, there is a lack of representation as well as a lack of acknowledgement that certain words do hurt people, specifically the children of color at my school. So you mentioned words 
this is something that you experience at the school from students? They didn't think that I was listening, but during lunch in the cafeteria, there is a section where most of the Latino kids like to hang out as well as the African-American students. Like, we all hang out in a certain area, and for sure our cafeteria is very segregated. Like, we all sit in our certain places. And when lunch ended, I remember walking back to my class, and I just heard a bunch of, like, slurs on both for us, the Latino kids, and as well for the um, the African-American kids. And maybe because they thought it was a really crowded place and people were talking everywhere and moving, that they didn't think that I heard anything. But when I got to class, they sat, like, two desks next to me, and they acted like they never said anything. That was very offensive. So what do you think of that, the fact that in your cafeteria that it's segregated? Are you okay with that? Personally, I don't feel okay with it because my friend group is very like diverse, in my opinion, compared to other people's friend groups that I see. And it just saddens me that like we don't communicate very much in our cafeteria. Like Only the Latino kids sit with the Latino kids. Only the African-American kids sit with the African-American kids. And all the white kids sit with the white kids. My other friends' schools, like in California and places where it's more diverse, that her cafeteria is, you can't tell that it's segregated as much as ours. Have you personally experienced any incidents of discrimination? Well, I am enrolled in more advanced classes, and my freshman year it wasn't very much of a big deal because there was also a bunch of students of color in those classes, but once I hit my junior year and I entered this program, A lot of kids and some teachers were kind of questioning my ability to be able to pursue that program for the rest of my high school career. And definitely, like, I felt discriminated against because once I was in the program, yeah, I was one of the only Latino students. I think there's three other Latino students and one other African-American student, and there's about 15 to 20 white students. It was a situation where where there were the expectations from staff left yes. something to be desired for you. Yes, and in my opinion, my first two years of high school, I did keep my grades up. I was a 4.0 student. I was really like confused as to why they were questioning my ability to be in that program. And so that just kind of encouraged me to be in that program even more so I can prove them wrong. Did you experience or witness any racial incidents after the election in 2016? Yes, I specifically remember the day that the chanting of build the wall and Trump occurred at my high school after the election. I remember having to go home that day a little early because I was sick. As soon as lunch started, I remember like sitting down in my bed looking at my Snapchat stories And I saw videos of my friends posting about what was going on in the cafeteria while I was away. And instantly I felt really scared to go to school the next day, just knowing that there was people being up in your face. Like, I I do respect uh, freedom of speech and that people are going to have different views than mine. But just having that, that people just hating people for, like, just how they are, they don't know our background personally. So it was really hard for me to understand why they would 
do that in a school setting and why staff let it happen for that long. In my opinion, they should have stopped it as soon as possible, but they just kind of kept letting it happen. Angie Acevedo also shared her experiences at Bend High. One of the main problems I've seen is a lack of representation. Just in general, you don't see diversity in the staff and you don't see you don't really see a lot of diversity in the support that the staff give either in a sense that you feel that like these higher expectations are like they're kind of set for like these students that aren't of color but for like students of color they're not as high expected like if you're good at math or something like it's surprising instead of normal there's one colombian teacher that i know of at bandai and that's basically it all of my four years what do you think that uh, a more diverse staff, uh, teachers and staff, would bring to your experience? It would make us feel comfortable, like we have somewhere to go, actually. I feel like we would find comfort in seeing someone that just looks like us, I guess. You're told that you're going to high school so you can go to college and obviously better your life, but you don't really see yourself like that because you don't see any examples of that. Have you personally experienced any harassment? I feel like we all kind of have, like all students of color in a way. But we just don't really know how to recognize it because it's been normalized to us. And I've tried thinking outside of, like, my perspective of this because it is so normalized to me, too. Basically, like, teachers, I feel like they don't always believe in you as much as they would if you were not of color. And I feel like that's obviously harassment in a way. It doesn't have to be harassment like, oh, like, they come up and tell you straight up, like, you're not going to get anywhere because you're brown. It's just the little things that start getting to you psychologically, like, after, like, all these years in this education system and that gets to you and you don't you don't realize it do you have any recollections of what was happening immediately after the election in 2016 the election of donald trump obviously i saw a lot of stuff in the media and stuff there was one day specifically at bend high during lunch it, was, it started off with i think just a poster i think some kid with like a donald trump poster like in support i didn't really know how to feel about it i was i was fine i guess like i was just eating my lunch and like i knew like if anything happened like it's just like it's just high schoolers and like we're at school like I should be fine whatever happens and like eventually it just started like more people started joining the kid and like it just became like kind of like a, a big crowd in the middle of our lunch and they were just chanting things like obviously like Trump Trump and I mean at first I felt fine about it because I know how to like obviously I don't support um, our president I do know how to respect other people's viewpoints and I do understand other perspectives but they just started yelling things like oh like build a wall and it made me feel really out of place, like really not not safe, honestly. And I remember like after lunch, I was walking obviously to my next class and like that's when it kind of broke off and because everyone had to head to class and stuff. But um, this one kid, I remember his father passed away a couple years ago and I was um, I was really there for them, you know, for him and his family. And like I remember he came up behind me when I was in the hall and he grabbed my hair and he yanked me. And he, he said, um, go build that wall for me. Another way that I see it, too, I see the ELL kids that come in with, like, with no English. Obviously, they're kind of alone. Like, they're kind of isolated at a new school, at a new country. I tried my best to make them feel welcome, but you do see a lot, especially with the staff and with the administration. They get in trouble so much more than anyone else, and it's, it's ridiculous. And I, I, I tell them straight up, just be careful because you might get in trouble more often. I asked both Bend High students how they learned about the town hall, what the experience was like for them, and what they would like to see moving forward. Here's Gabriela 
Hernandez Garcia, followed by Angie Acevedo. How did you learn about the town hall? Through their cross-cultural club, there's these two facilitators, and they brought up the idea of us as a club going, and most of us in the club were able to go to the town hall meeting. And what did you think of it? That was literally the first time that I've ever been in a room full of only colored students. I've In the classrooms that I've been in, it's usually I'm the only colored student, but for the first time in like my high school career, it was filled with only colored students. It made me feel really like represented for once. And I mean, I knew I was around students that did want to like voice their opinions on the school policies and like how staff members should handle certain situations and that they really cared about their schools and their and the students of the schools that they wanted to voice out their thoughts. What would you hope can come out of this town hall uh, at your school and in the school district at large and at the community? Well, I think that for sure this town hall meeting did make an impact in my personal life because when I came back from it, I told my brother about my field trip, my younger brother, and I told him my experiences. And then he kind of broke down and told me about his experiences, and he has never told me anything about it. And that was like the first time he realized that those situations were were actually meant as harm towards him. It just kind of made me more aware that it happens even more. And as for my school, hopefully the like school administrators that were there and the like other teachers that went there do really listen to us and think more about how we're feeling and how to make the school a safer place for us. Anything else that you want to add? Well, I'm just grateful for all the like staff members that I know that actually care at my school, and they made sure that I'm comfortable talking to them about anything because that's just really impactful for me because I've never really had a teacher that has made the effort to share out my, <laughs> my experiences as a colored student, and I'm just really grateful for those people. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This is Larry Farrell from Bloomfield, New Jersey, and Adela Anda from New York City. And you are listening to the Radical Songbook on 88.9 KPOV High Desert Community Radio. And now we'll get back to the interviews I conducted with high school students and facilitators who participated in the October 11th Town Hall on Race at Central Oregon Community College. Here's what Angie Acevedo said about her Town Hall experience. So how did you learn about the town hall that was held in October? The dean of students told me about it. And so you decided to go? Yeah. Why did you want to go? It seemed really dumb for me to pass on something like that since I never see anything like that happen. So what did you think of the town hall? At first, I felt kind of uncomfortable just because no one really ever asks us, like, how are we doing like as staff? How can we make your education better? How do you feel you're being, do you feel safe? And we never get asked that, and you, you never really think about it, really. And at first, like, I knew what the answers were, but I didn't know that I knew that. I don't know if that makes sense, because I never get asked that. And um, I honestly, it was really, it was kind of emotional for me. Like, like when I came home after, and I kind of realized, like, someone, like, actually cares. Like, no one has ever asked us anything like that, or just really cared, really. What would you like to see come out of the town hall at your school? I would like for people to listen to what we have to say because I think our voice does matter. 
and I don't think children in general get heard enough as they should be. And um, in my school and the staff, I would like to see more support, not necessarily diversity, just more support of children of color. And my peers, I hope it gives them a sense of hope, I guess, to speak up until they realize that their voice does matter because most of the time we just don't say anything anymore because we don't, we feel like no one ever listens to us. Are you involved in any activities at uh, Bentai? Yeah. We have a cross-cultural club at our school. Yeah, I was the vice president last year during my junior year. Joan Song is a senior at Summit High and editor of the student newspaper, The Pinnacle. I asked her how she learned about the town hall. So I got a letter from the school on this nice school letterhead inviting me to RSVP to this event if I felt comfortable with it. And as soon as I read it, I kind of knew that this was a conversation that I wanted to participate in and contribute my voice towards. So I told the administrators that I did want to go. I don't know how the process of inviting students was at other schools, but I do know that at Summit, it was done by looking at student records through our platform Student View and looking at the demographic information that students had submitted, self-reported. And one of my friends is Lipian, but his, his dad's kind of an interesting character. And because of that, his demographic information was listed as white, not, you know, Middle Eastern. And because of that, he didn't initially receive an invitation. So, I mean... We talked to McDonald's and we figured it out. Whereas there were some students that were maybe, you know, 25% or 16% something. But because they had reported it, they were invited to the event. And I don't know how many of them actually said that they would want to go. But I feel like maybe because Summit doesn't have an existing multicultural organization or because it was kind of pulled in at the last minute, that aspect of the organization at the summit level, I think could have been done a bit better to include students, more students. I How do you feel about it? I think it was overall a pretty good experience. It was nice to see so much student turnout because summit is not a very diverse school. So seeing that there are other students of color in this region was reassuring. I wanted to talk about some of my experiences. And, and, and what, what are some of those experiences that you're talking about? One time early in the school year, I had an English teacher keep me back after class, and he sat me down and he told me, you speak really good English. Like, when you talk, I can't even tell that you have an accent, you know, and when you write, you really sound like someone from here, although you're not, you know, it's not really... And I've had some of those experiences kind of happen outside of school and that I'm pretty used to because I don't expect everyone to understand those types of, of issues or be aware of those. But to have a teacher tell me that was pretty discouraging in thinking about how these teachers view me and as a student. It made me feel that no matter how hard I worked at my school, to be seen as a high achiever, because of my appearance, people would make assumptions about my abilities, constantly kind of undervalue what I can achieve because of what they expect of me. 
Joan Song, who is Asian-American, was born in California and has lived in Central Oregon for nine years. Can you give us some other examples of, of instances that you've seen uh, racism or bullying either, either either in your school or out in the community? One time, my family went to Goodwill, and we were in the dressing rooms, and my mom asked the woman who was staffing, you know, the dressing room area, if she could come into the room with me to help zip up my zipper because I couldn't reach it. And the woman kind of looked at her and then said, no, you can't. We have an age restriction policy. But in a room right next to us, there was a white family and the white mother was going into the room to change to help her daughter with her clothes and the woman at the counter didn't say anything towards that and my mother you know she saw that too and she got pretty upset and she was challenging the woman you know like well what is your age policy how come that's allowed and this isn't but instead of providing an actual age policy the woman just kept refusing to answer and saying well how old is your daughter? Kind of, in a way, I guess, to make up an age policy on the spot, I suppose. Mm. We left after that, and we didn't end up buying anything. How long have you lived in the community? I've lived here for five years, and before that, I lived in Sisters for six years. What would you like to see come out of that experience, that town hall event? I think one of the biggest things that I want to see is a similar event, an event that takes into account the suggestions that students made in this event. So a big one was a lot of students wanted to see some fellow white students participate in the discussion as well, and I would like to see that too. And I think doing another similar event, but having some white students there would definitely help foster more understanding than just us talking with each other because we've all had similar experiences. Do these issues come up in your classroom or in or in clubs or anything like that? We don't actually have any clubs addressing this. I know Bend High has a multicultural club, but we don't really have that equivalent. And race isn't really a topic that teachers actively choose to approach. In fact, I think they'd rather choose to not talk about it because it's kind of a contentious topic and it just causes a lot of heated discussion that I think teachers would rather spend on their material. Do you think that would change if if the um, if the faculty, if there were more people of color on the faculty? I definitely do. As far as I know, we don't have any black teachers or Asian teachers. I think we maybe have one or two Hispanic teachers, but probably 99% of our staff is white. And I think that's kind of one of the things you see that are characteristic of majority groups is that they don't, they don't necessarily think addressing these issues is a necessary thing. But if you are a person of color, then you kind of see and you kind of understand that it's not preferable to just avoid it and pretend it doesn't exist. It's better to talk about it and foster an open discussion where students and teachers can learn from each other. I actually talked to our principal 
pretty soon after the event on what we could do to have a similar event. And logistically, we're not really sure yet how to do that. There is a group of teachers at our school, though, that are working on putting something like that together. At Summit, there's a multicultural club, but it's not the type of multicultural club that Bend High has. It's, I don't actually really know what it does. My sister is involved in it, and they don't, they don't really have meetings or really any organization. So I guess a step that we could take is making that club more formal and giving it more, not necessarily power, but more of a role in shaping our school's discussion about race. Do you feel that that the administration uh, at your high school is doing enough when issues like teachers saying in, making inappropriate comments, or students making inappropriate comments, or racist comments, or bullying? Do you feel that the administration uh, is doing enough? I think in some ways it's doing too little, and in some ways it's doing. Too much, I would guess. I feel like some of the penalties imposed on students that say these kinds of things are relatively harsh. And while I understand that students who say such things should be punished for it, I don't think getting a suspension—you know—they're just going to spend time at home playing video games or something. I don't know really how that's going to help prevent bullying in the future. Whereas. The kind of total hands-off approach to when a teacher says something inappropriate multiple times throughout the years, and yet they don't take any action or I think prescribe any, you know, cultural training or sensitivity training, kind of like what Starbucks has. I think that's the greater issue that I find with the administration: how they differentiate so much between. Not necessarily punishing, but addressing these issues when they arise with students who affect, you know, only the students that they choose to affect, and teachers who can affect a much higher number of students. I think. I think the new principal is trying very hard to be involved in what our students are doing. I often see him dropping in on our classes and kind of checking in and seeing what we're doing and taking notes, and I think that level of Trying to engage a lot with us is appreciated. Hi, this is Elise Bryant, and you're tuned in to the Radical Songbook on 88.9 KPOV High Desert Community Radio. And now we'll get back to the interviews I conducted with high school students and facilitators who participated in the October 11th Town Hall on Race at Central Oregon Community College. I also spoke with Michaela Young, a senior at Mountain View High School. She transferred from Bend High. What are some of the issues and concerns around race for people of color uh, that you see at Mountain View High School? Well, this is my first year at Mountain View, so I'm new there. And there's, it's not as diverse as Bend High. So, I mean, I get stared at all the time. There's not very many, like, black people there. And we kind of have our own little group that we form and, you know, People make, you know, slide jokes, whatever, but we kind of just, we just brush it off to the side. And then they wear their um, Make America Great Again hats, and they make, you know, little jokes all the time about Donald Trump. And they'll be like, oh, well, he's Mexican or he's black, and like in my one of my classes. But, 
kind of ignore it because I'm just like, whatever. So it's so Mountain View for you is di- is different environment than Bend High. Definitely, yeah. Just expound on that a little bit. Um, well, at Bend High, you feel much more welcomed. Like it's just much more welcoming there. There's like more different people, more diversity. At Mountain View, when I was there, like the very first day, um, when I went to get my schedule and stuff, me and my parents we kind of got an attitude from the office people, which was interesting. But um, like I get stared at all the time. It's just uncomfortable there. So how did you learn about the um, the town hall? Well, I, I didn't know about it until my dad invited us to it because I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And then when I went there and I saw kids from my school and one of my teachers there, I thought it was cool. But I didn't hear about it because they weren't saying anything over the intercom, or I don't think they did because I never heard about it. Um, well, first I was confused. I didn't quite understand exactly what it was. And then when we got there, everything, it kind of, you know, oh, it was self-explanatory. So, yeah, it wasn't bad. I liked it. Me and my brother liked it a lot. But but you literally didn't really know what to expect. <laughs> no, not at all. So so what was your impression of it? I thought it was cool. The kids pretty much did most of the talking, like in our groups we all had. And then the parents that were there and the like the school teachers just stood back while we kind of ran it ourselves kind of. Yeah, so that was cool. I felt um, comfortable being in a room with a bunch of other people that also have problems like us that you can actually talk about it and they know what you're talking about versus talking to like some other person and they just they don't know anything what you're talking about they just think you're complaining all the time or something like that but it was it felt comfortable and all our facilitators were people of color as well so that helped because they also um, could understand what we were talking about I've heard from some students that They'd be interested in seeing in ha- in having a an event like this that included white students. I think that'd be interesting. I mean, there was one white person there. <laughs> um, I think she went because she wanted to, you know, learn about. I think she said she wanted to learn about what we had to go through and stuff. I think it'd be interesting. Um, hopefully, they will actually understand stuff. <laughs> interesting in that they might learn something. Yeah. If they can go, if they're like serious about it. Have you had a chance to talk to any of your, any of the other Mountain View students that were there about it? Have you done that at all, or have you given any thought to um, what you could be doing at Mountain View High School? Well, I um, ever since I went to the meeting, the teacher that was there, she's my teacher. She's my third period teacher. She came up to me and she invited me to this group. It's called the Equity Club. We have a meeting first Wednesday of every month, and she told me that it was kind of like like a mini thing of what we did at the college. The kids that were in the Mountain View group that went to the college thing were in that group, and there was about 12 of us, maybe 15 of us. Like we're planning on doing a video about using the N-word at Mountain View and other stuff, and then we're going to show the teachers and then try to maybe get an assembly going. That's what we're working on right now. And it's all um, kids of color in that group. I think there's one white person, but other than that, and it's the group is ran by the students. The teachers um, just kind of sit back, and it's ran by the teacher that was there and then another teacher that was also at the thing. So, All right, that's great. Thanks. I also spoke over the phone with two Lapine High School students who attended the town hall, Darian Wilson, who is a junior, and Jay Nichols, a senior. Both of them spoke about microaggressions they have experienced on campus 
We'll hear from Darian first, followed by Jay. What are some of the issues and the problems that you see for students of color at Lapine High School? The main problem I see is would probably mostly microaggression, uh, t- mainly speaking from students. So student-to-student ratio, it's usually always <clears throat> small jokes here and there around school and small issues here and there that I actually see quite often. So usually I've always said something. Uh, when I'm in the situation, I've always said something. And I've always taken it to a staff member or person around the school. Staff at Lapine, they respond to you when you, uh, when you bring stuff up? Oh, yeah. They've taken everything I've brought up into consideration, and we've solved a lot of problems together and have grown as a community from a lot of incidents at the school and problems being solved. So how did you learn about the town hall? Um, so I started the first multicultural group at Lapine High School, and our advisor, uh, he got an email regarding that town hall, and he brought it to me and the rest of the members, and we all liked it. We all liked the idea of it and meeting up and meeting new students. So when did you start that group? Um, I would say early October. And so how many students are active in the group? 17 students, but not all really participate. And what all do you do? Um, so we meet every Thursday. Uh, we eat lunch together. We talk about some students like to get things off their chest, so it's kind of like a safe space for some students. Talk about or elaborate other scenarios, other uh, things going on in other schools. We're reaching for a goal to bring the idea of uh, and the knowledge of racism to our school. That's our goal from this. But we have been using it more of like a safe space kind of an area. And so what are your, what were your feelings? What was your impression of the town hall, and, and what, did, what did you think of it? So going into the town hall, I was a little nervous. It's a little nerve-wracking opening up to some students. About halfway through the thing, it was a completely different view. Me and all the students at my table were getting along. We were laughing with each other and talking through stories together and really opening up to each other. And overall, it was just an amazing experience. What would you like to see come out of that town hall at Lapine High? I mean, you're going to be there next year, too. So, you know, you have an opportunity to uh, carry forward what you learned at the town hall. For sure. And I hope to see at Lapine High School a lot more, more improvement in the student body of racism and microaggression stuff going on because we did take some uh, not-ethnic students there as well to go along with the experience and to be there and to witness a lot of it. And those students have spoke about changes internally from just going to that town hall symposium. So it'd be real nice to see a change in the way students are starting to see some of these things and reflect from the students that went there to reflect on to these students. Here's what Jay Nichols had to say about his school and the town hall. So generally speaking, what are some of the issues and problems that you see for for students of color at Lapine High School? The issues that they'll have at Lapine High School start from things like microaggression from people of more of a Caucasian ethnicity. 
a lot of times they won't voice how they feel, or even when they do, they'll expect that the people of minority will not do anything and virtually have no power. Um, at Lapine, a good example is that students will say derogative terms to students of color with no regard of how that student's feelings are and how hurtful those words are. So what are some other things that you can talk about that have occurred at Lapine High School that you recall? Students wearing Confederate attire, which a lot of times will offend people of different ethnicity. And a student at the school had walked up to me with a Confederate jacket, not understanding my feelings toward it and why I don't believe in it, thinking it was okay, not like thinking about how I felt about it. And I had to sit there and explain to them why this was wrong and not to do that. But you took the time to do that, to talk to them. Yeah, I do. Like, that wouldn't be my first occasion of doing that to someone. It's not that kids want to be racist or adults want to be racist all the time. It's more like they don't know and they don't ask questions, so they can't know in the first place. So someone has to tell them. It's something I'd rather be able to explain it to people and people be able to listen than to sit back and take what the media and other people betray us to be. So how did you learn about the town hall? The town hall, it was told to me by another African-American student that went to our school. Okay. He first introduced me into the program that we're doing, and I started getting a little more committed with it when I finally understood the mission of it. And then I decided to talk about the things that have happened to me and my point of view on what's happened to African-Americans and people of different ethnicity. And what was your impression of the town hall? I was happy. I was happy that people were willing to take the time to speak out against the problems and see the issues that are going on within their own communities. It was funny because um, me and another brought uh, our significant other with us who were actually Caucasian. So them being, like, having people of even that ethnicity come and ask questions and understand is the view of what we're trying to do. I believe it was an ex a success if we can at least treat, like, teach others about the things that we go through. Anything else that you're that you're hoping to see come out of the town hall at Lapine High School? I'm hoping that others being able to see what we've done in the past will propel people of the future, say freshmen or people in the younger uh, grades and generations, to come forward and say the things they feel and talk about what happened when they had to participate. You no, know, I've talked to some students who have indicated that they thought that in future town halls, it would go be good to have white students as well as students of color. What's your What are your thoughts on that? I mean, that was my idea from the beginning. My thought process was that I wanted, I didn't want just to support the people that were in our communities in these minority groups. I wanted people from the outside to join us to understand what we go through and be able to tell the story of what they learned. I met with three facilitators in one interview session. It would have interrupted the flow of the conversation to ask them to identify themselves each time they spoke, but you should be able to recognize the differences between the voices of Marcus Legrand and Gordon Price. I started by asking each of them to talk about the experiences they brought to the town hall as facilitators. Marcus Legrand, an instructor at COCC, answers first, followed by Gordon Price, who's the coordinator of student events and activities at COCC, and then we hear from Karani Mitchell, a trainer at Allyship in Action. What kind of experience do you feel that you brought to the town hall as a facilitator, your own background? Uh, I think my background, not only as just a counselor, 
but also just a person who has always been working with students in some kind of capacity throughout my professional career. I think I brought an, an ear or a knowledge base that some of these kids don't have, you know, coming from where I've, you know, grown up in places I've lived. I thought I brought a wealth of knowledge for them to be able to give them insight on what they possibly are going through. So, Great. Uh, for me, I think it's, uh, you know, we talk a lot about seeing your elders or seeing people ahead of you that look like you, like teachers in the classroom or doctors that you may see. So I think part of the reason I was there was to see a person that works in a higher education place that that is there to listen, as Marcus said, an ear, but also just somebody that represents them or someone that they can feel safe talking to because we look like each other. For me, uh, because I grew up in Central Oregon, we had a lot to, a lot of shared experiences and understanding, and that created a kind of natural rapport and shared understanding about experiences, whereas if I'm talking to maybe white students, it's less likely that they'd understand what it's like to be profiled in a store or worried about getting pulled over when they're driving. And so there was less explanation around experiences and more shared feelings. What do you think were the particular issues and concerns that students of color uh, had specifically in their schools? Just working in into some of the schools, a lot of the kids feel that they're very marginalized, that they are on an island, they're sitting in classrooms. Some of these, some of these students sit in AP classes, some of them sit in IB classes, and they're sitting in these classrooms and they're the only one. So when things come up uh, in terms of race, gender, different things that come up for them or some issues that come up with them, they really don't have another person to go to. They may go to the teacher and mention it, but you don't know what's going to happen. So. When the students were talking about those things, and I could relate, I totally understood because I had the same background as many of them. AP classes, you know, the most advanced classes, sending only uh, minority kids, students sitting in these classes. So I identified a lot of what their stories and what they were talking about when we were sitting there. Uh, okay, uh, AP is basically advanced placement classes, or IB classes basically relatable, so you can match college or merge college and high school classes together so you can graduate a little bit sooner with your college experience. So What's these, it stand for, IB? It's international. international oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We all educators, we get it. Yeah. So, Gordon. It's a question again. I was listening. Well, so, what, what do you think are some of the issues and concerns for, that, that yeah. students of color have in in their schools? Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit of what Marcus said. Again, I don't think it, I don't think it just has to be in the IB or the, or the other classes. I think it's school-wide. A lot of times you're the only one in the classroom or you're the only one in the auditorium, you know, or wherever it may be. And so... You can either be invisible or you stand out like a, a sore thumb, right? And so you're kind of caught in between those two things. And so um, I think that was a part of it. Another big part is that I think they were along the lines of being invisible. Their voices weren't heard. They weren't taken seriously. And so things may happen in, in the school district or at their school and then the administration. There was no response or there may have been things that they just felt invisible and that they they didn't have a, a place to go or a place to uh, share their voice. Similarly, I think lack of representation in teachers and administrators at the school and not having an ear, an empathetic ear, uh, to hold concerns and respond to concerns appropriately. Students felt like they weren't being listened to or taken seriously. Um, and again, also feeling isolated in their experiences. Some of the students I met without being too personal, th there were a lot of fears about deportation and not being sure how the school would respond to supporting 
their family should one of their guardians be taken away. Um, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty about who do I turn to, who can I share and trust uh, this information with, and then also just the anxiety of 14-year-old kids wondering if their parents are going to be home and um, not knowing who to turn to and bend. So as facilitators, what was your actual role there? Listen. Listen to their concerns. Give them and let them know that we are another viable resource for them. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for their voices to be heard and someone is standing up for them. But at the same time, giving them a charge or a boost of energy to be able to do it themselves. Go back and charge their, their own groups and their fellow classmates to say, hey, you know what? We have a voice. We matter. Hey, here's what we can need to do. And whatever guidelines, whatever uh, necessary means by doing it, we're going to make it happen. And then that's what most of us, that's what I felt I was there for. They, they felt that, hey, you know what? I got that burden off my chest. I got to speak and someone heard me. And it, and it wasn't one of those things where it was like, oh, my God, you know what? I, I'm not alone. But guess what? Together we know what we can do. And when you in and, and the bond that was in that room and the love and the energy was in that room, it was phenomenal. You know, these kids' voices finally got to be heard in, in, at, a, in a larger level than they can only imagine. And now they know they have other things that they can do, and they know that people are out there, you know, gun helping them. I don't have anything to add on that. I think he's spot on on that. Other, other than, you know, know that there's adults out there that, that right. understand and experience and, and can share that and that they have that support that's out there, that they have that. We have their back. Well, think about it from a cultural standpoint. They are in a culture of so many. They don't even know what their culture is. You know, think about it. Many of them, like we were, he, Gordon was stating, are the only ones in a room. Or if they do have a friend, they all group together because that's their, their support system when they're at school. But then think about it. What if even that's their support system and the people you go to don't all the time understand exactly what they need to say to you? Because from a cultural standpoint, they, they don't know how to communicate with us. Think about it. Like, they, like I am an immigrant, my parents are immigrants or undocumented or whatever, or I'm a dreamer or I'm, I'm DACA, whatever you want to say. I'm one of those students, and I, I come home and my parents not there. Or someone says something to them on the street, or they're at a grocery store, or somebody tries to do something to them, and they can't tell that to anyone. Because if they do, they don't know if that information is going to be taken to the authorities and their kids are going to be, they're going to be gone. So, you know, it, it's tough. And I can only imagine, think about it, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, two-year-olds having that burden on them all the time. That's tough. It's very, very tough. In my group, we all cried together at one point, and it was really powerful because it, I think maybe it was my personality and my stature. <laughs> I think the fact that I'm a short, brown woman makes made the kids feel really comfortable with me. Um, but we laughed a lot together, and we cried together. And that was, and there was no shame. And I think that was a unique opportunity, considering we were all strangers from different schools and of different schools. Were each of you kind of assigned, you were with a group of students for the entire... Yeah. Mm -hmm. the same okay. group of we had eight students, right? Yeah, eight, eight. Yeah. And how was that determined? Random, Random. supposedly. Yeah. yeah. You know, you think about it, you have students, even though, yes, we all had the moment, that you, like she stated, they were very vulnerable, but at the same time, too, you had some kids who were angry. Mm -hmm. You have some kids who were just straight up mad and trying to facilitate through that sometimes and trying to get them to understand that they're in a safe place. And you can you can tell us how you feel. So someone's hearing what you're saying to get you the, the resources you need so you can be successful. I don't think it went beyond the school so much, but as well, maybe culturally um, when stereotypes, when their peers 
the only maybe other black kids I see her on TV than some of the students in my group. There were a few black students. They people would say, oh, well, you don't act black or you don't sound black <laughs> in like challenging white students challenging the identities of the students of color in the group because of where we live and the media and culture, um, especially when maybe there's only one black kid in, the, in a particular class. Uh, so that's societal. I met separately with Oscar Gonzalez, the empowerment programs manager at the Latino Community Association, who also served as a facilitator. I asked Oscar what experiences he brought to the town hall. Nothing but my life's work, which has been um, to be a part of helping students of color find their own voice, feel comfortable in their own skin. Because um, we all know that being confident and having self-esteem and and feeling good about yourself will help our students versus students who don't have those attributes. And typically those students um, don't do as well. I started going to the meetings a little over a year ago. And this is the restorative, uh, this justice. Is the restorative justice and equity as, as an appendage to what I do at LCA. And it seemed like a perfect fit because of the disproportionality of um, our youth uh, being identified um, for behavioral concerns and, and, and other issues which um, at some point will lead them outside the door of the classroom, sometimes towards suspension, sometimes towards expulsions. And we know that youth of color, students of color disproportionately get sent to the principal's office that much more um, beyond the expulsion, expulsions and suspensions. And that's not endemic to Central Oregon. This is a a national problem. We're, we're kind of a microcosm of what's happening nationally. So this is what uh, I felt, this is one of the reasons to why I felt compelled that LCA should have a prominent role in myself with my experience in education going back 30 years. I've learned a few things to how to work with youth and their families and, and get kids to feel good about themselves and feel comfortable about talking about themselves and what their thoughts are about their future. And because of racism, because of microaggressions, because of low expectations, because of disciplinary issues at school, uh, many of our children, our youth, our students of color, um, never fully um, actualize themselves to, to, to their fullest. I'll return now to my interview with Marcus Legrand, Gordon Price, and Karani Mitchell, three facilitators at the Student Town Hall on Racism. Gordon Price opens this part of the conversation. Well, my sense is that they don't know what to do. I think I think they're stuck. I think they're um, looking for answers. Well, I wouldn't say looking. I think they need answers, but they're not necessarily looking for them. Uh, I think they're waiting for maybe somebody else to do something. Maybe this town hall has got them energized. I think, again, having the superintendent there hopefully will, will lead to some top-level action. Um, I think that was crucial, actually, to have him there because we need those. We need people in those in those higher levels to to be aware and to be able to make changes. Um, so, uh, up to this point, I don't think the school system has been able to address it because you know um, uh, it, of ignorance in, in a lot of ways. You know, and just not knowing 
or taking the steps to learn about different cultures or how different cultures even teach and how they learn, you know, and, and how they express themselves in all different in all different manners. And so they're just not aware because they haven't taken the steps to do it. One, because they haven't necessarily been forced to. They've been able to get by without addressing the situation. We've had several incidents in the school district that have happened that they didn't know how to respond to, right? And so I think they've chosen not to respond to it because there's not enough people in the community saying, hey, you need to respond to it. And so I think this town hall is now saying, hey, you need to respond to it. Uh, And so now hopefully we'll see some movement. But up to this point, they haven't done anything. See, for me, working in the educational system here, all the teachers for the like just like any other any school system in the country for the most part, they care. They want to help. They want to be able to be the leaders, or like you said, or representation of the schools and try to help them where they can. But I always have looked like it like this: when you like Gordon stated, when you're the majority, and you really don't understand how isolation is, it's tough for them to be able to give a voice to those students. Sometimes we just want them to understand that these kids are different. Not just because of their color. They're different in the way things happen in home than most white families that they uh, see on a daily basis. We understand the differences between what's in Ben. You know, there's an affluent background, there's a middle class, and there's a poor section as well. We get that. But don't isolate us to a sense where we got to be like, okay, well, we got to stay within this pocket or this realm. But you still want us to learn the way you learn. You still want us to conform to the things you want us to do. But wait a minute a second. I thought everybody had a voice to be able to speak up and say what they want. And that's all these kids are asking for. Now, in terms of staffing, I did an interview or I did an interview with the assistant superintendent uh, last year. And I wrote an article for the uh, broadside talking about it. And I stated with it, I'm saying, how do you guys attract minority candidates? Is we can get them here, but we can't we don't have enough culture in the area for them to have anything. I said, but I got a question. Did you ever think about bringing minority students to the interview? Any minority on staff that you have, did you ever thought about bringing them to the staff meeting so they can represent, so these kids can tell you what they want? Because maybe that might entice that person of color to be able to stay here. Because guess what happens? If they see that they're working with a group of students who look like them and understand some of the situation, that may be helpful. Also, looking at who's sitting here, we have a wealth of knowledge. We have great college backgrounds. Why aren't we talking to us to say, what can we do? Now with the restorative justice thing that we're doing is help hopefully happening. Come to us and talk to us. What is the appropriate thing to do to make sure that these kids are being served properly? I'd really like the school board to do some analysis of their own policies and internal biases and uh, policies and hiring practices and not come in as a white savior (laughs) because I think I get really concerned when I see uninformed, well-intentioned white folks trying to lead equity work in Central Oregon without drawing on the wisdom of the local either leaders or community members. As Marcus, as you mentioned, like some of us were here and many of us were involved in the, as facilitators uh, with this program. Um, But it's, I think, disingenuous to do this external work by maybe increasing pictures of kids of color on in our enrollment pictures or marketing materials without really looking at why is our school district the way it is and who has the power in shifting it and shifting our narrative and maybe and doing some decolonization work because the foundations of our system is is perpetuating um, this racial divide 
and um, lack of competency, I think, from the inside out. I also asked Oscar Gonzalez what kinds of issues students of color face in Ben Lapine schools. Well, one is that they don't see themselves in front of the class or in the uh, offices of administration or as coaches on the sideline. Um, not a lot of identification of other folks um, outside of their peers or their parents or their family members that um, have that connection with them, be it language, be it culture, be it heritage. It's, I believe, less than 1% uh, here in Ben Lapine School District. And so that that's one thing that really comes uh, at me and strikes at me uh, full force. The other thing that I know Ben Lapine School District has really made a dent in is to bring up their teachers up to speed when it comes to issues of cultural competency and responsiveness. That is also very, very important so that we have educators and instructors in our classroom that don't differentiate based on class or race or language or what have you, but see potential in all children and work to bring the best out of those kids so that ultimately they'll have uh, many options before them post uh, K through 12 experience. And uh, the sad part is uh, that's not the reality for many of our youth of color, um, even in places like Central Oregon. We were lucky enough through the Latino Success Initiative that Better Better Together runs out of the uh, um, High Desert ESD here locally. Um, One of the first things that I had brought to their attention in terms of recruiting for teachers of color, one option would be to work through the Teach for America organization out of New York, which uh, the Center for Educational Equity, no one had ever heard of out here. And they're big in Portland, they're big in the Willamette Valley, and I had gone through their four-day training about five years ago, soon after I, I, I came to Oregon from Houston um, during my time with the uh, Eugene 4, 4J School District. And it was Phenomenal. It was transformative. Um, You did a lot of reflection um, on a very personal level, but at the same time, as a group, we started to learn about issues involving, uh, well, anywhere from oppression to uh, um, colonization to white privilege. Many educators uh, are open and ready and willing to grow and learn, and and uh, but unfortunately, not all of them are, are there yet or will ever get there. And in my mind, uh, they do more of a disservice by being in front of our youth than helping them. So uh, hopefully we're, we're moving in that direction by getting more of not just our administrators and our teachers, but also our coaches, our counselors, and even folks that work in the cafeteria to the front office staff to bring people up to speed. Um, as the rest of the state is, it seems that, um, that Central Oregon is a quite a bit behind, maybe 10 years or so behind the times, um, and maybe 20 years or so behind the rest of the country in terms of this movement in um, getting, uh, especially at the high school level, but all K through 12, to become more up to speed with the diversity that's happening um, in our school system. In the process of hiring more staff and teachers of color. Uh, they bring up a lot of reasons to why that's uh, an issue. One is limited resources, and I get that. But I'm also hoping to uh, get folks to think outside the box and to uh, work with the te- te- uh, Teaching Standards and Practices Commission out in Salem to become a little more flexible, to uh, realize that the state of Oregon is 48th in the nation 
in terms of um, high school uh, graduation rates and, and so on for a reason. Every two years, Oregon's Department of Education issues a report card on school districts that includes data on the race and ethnicity of students and staff. The most recent report card for 2016-2017 shows that there is a higher percentage of students of color across the Ben Lapine School District than there is staff and teachers of color. Staff is 95% white at all levels, while students are 81 to 84% white. Latinos are the largest non-white group of high school students at 11%, but Latinos are only 2% of the high school staff. The Oregon School Report Card can be found online at www.ode.state.or.us. This is Sam Kirkland, and you're listening to The Radical Songbook on 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio, KPOV. And now... We'll get back to the interviews I conducted with high school students and facilitators who participated in the October 11th Town Hall on Race at Central Oregon Community College. As I noted earlier, the October Town Hall on Racism was initiated by the Restorative Justice and Equity Group and the Teachers Union, not by the school district or the high schools. Gordon Price opens this part of the discussion. I mean, like I said, I mean, they hadn't done anything. They didn't know what to do. They almost paralyzed. And so it took an outside force to say... Hey, what are we doing? Here's here's people in the community that are resources. Here's let's instead of waiting for the school district to do something, we finally decided let's try to figure something out. Let's get something going and let's bring the voice out to make the school district aware, alert, acknowledge what's happening. Right? This is happening in their schools on a daily basis. Or or be transparent in knowing what happened. Not to get specific into stories, something happened in the community of color to a student. And nothing. It took us to step up and go, this happened. But you see what I'm saying? Be transparent in that regard. Let's talk about it more. Let's get those information, those things out. We know they happen nationally all the time. We understand that. But this is wasn't something that we just could just let go under the bridge and just let it just let it float away. It couldn't happen. Because looking at how we how have kids students of color who are going to be raised in this community, if we don't do something, it's going to be hard for them or they're not going to understand completely why we do what we do. A great example. My, my daughter goes to school at one of the high schools here and, and the coordination of this, I was privy, privy to a lot of information as serving as a facilitator. So I knew when it was happening, I knew about the communications and I asked my daughter if she had heard about it in her school and no was the answer. Many times over several weeks, have you heard anything about it? So I actually had to go into the school with my own permission slip, take it in there for my daughter to make that she was going to attend to this, attend this event. And so that's the kind of thing we're talking about. They're not making the effort to really push this out, right? And so it took us, an outside community member, to finally say, go to the school and say, here, here's what is happening. And then that's a frustrating part. That's frustrating. And, and that's me being a frustrated adult of the community. Imagine how frustrating they may be to, uh, you know, a 15, 16, 17-year-old that's already feeling isolated, right, and not getting this information, right? And so that's, that's, that's the hard part. Yeah. We can do something. The adults can do something about it, right? The, 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 the teens now, finally, they feel they may have a voice now, but, again, they hadn't for, for such a long time, right? They haven't been able to share that or voice that. And so 
it's, it's not weird not pointing to the group. We're here for that reason. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, too, we're not here to just identify and just point fingers and go, you're, you're to blame, you're to blame. No, we're saying, hey, hold, slow down a minute. Let's all communicate together and let's work on this together and find out what we can do in terms of curriculum changes, in terms of support for our students, uh, understanding culture, cultural uh, appropriation. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's work on those things because that's what we're here for. Uh, the best analogy I heard um, here recently was uh, from was to, uh, NPR, I think it was last week. Right now, currently, how our education system is set up is this. Some people are still in the Flintstone age. We, we should be in the Jetsons by now the way we think and do things. We all should be on the same accord, moving fast toward having everybody on the same page to make things happen. That's what we're here for. Everybody will profit from it. But let's not continue to marginalize and put people in a box and allow in thinking that they're going to be able to be successful staying there. Let us show what we have in terms of our talents so we can basically benefit from the same things everybody else has benefited for over 400 plus years. It doesn't just falls on the school district. It falls on the principals, the counselors, the teachers, yeah, the parents, so forth and so on, the members of, of the society as a whole. That's what it all falls on. We're not looking for a school district handle. They have enough on their plate. We all need to jump in together, two feet, and make this happen. Okay? That's the bottom line. I mean, if we wait on the school district, decision, that, that'll take forever. We all need, as community people, to continue to keep working on a day-to-day basis to make sure that things are facilitated correctly. I think there's a lot of fear of making mistakes, especially around race and microaggressions and a lot of white administrators not knowing what to do, so they don't want to step in, but we need to educate and come together. I'd love to see that be driven by students and community members and for the district to step up. I know Chris Boyd invited the CFI coaching for educational equity. Uh, They came in the summer and did a training with a lot of the with a lot of Ben Lapine administrators and teachers. Only one school board member attended that two free day training. I was upset with um, <laughs> the way they did that training a little bit because they were asking community members of color to come in for free and participate to share life experience mm-hmm. and be a diverse voice in that setting, which sure might have changed the dynamic but um it can't all like the free labor of <laughs> brown and black people in our community to continually represent um is also emotionally exhausting and to me a perpetuation of of oppression but at the same time i if i'm gonna live here i'm going to, i'm going to do it I'm isolated in my community as well, too, right? You know, at COCC, there's not a whole lot of black folks working up there either, right? So this is not just, as Marcus said, a school district problem, K through 12 problem. You know, this is this is across Central Oregon community, right? And, and not just Latinx or Native American or black folks or white folks. I mean, it's it's it, it's going to take all of us, right? You know, okay. so um, it's not just a limited scope to what we were specifically talking about in this restorative justice town hall, which is great. Uh, it's just a continuation of what a lot of folks in the community have been trying to do for a long time. Oscar Gonzalez offers his assessment of how the schools prepared students for the town hall. I think we kind of came out of left field a little bit with the kids. I don't think uh, the schools did anything to properly prep them. Uh, maybe they would have helped if they would have maybe, I know, previewed this a little bit better, maybe providing... Um, some materials for them to have read through prior to. Um, 
again, to get these youth into the proper frame of mind as they walked into this all-day session, more or less. And so that I think the better prepared they they would have they could have been I think they would have probably had a higher rate of participation. We had some kids who opted out. You know, if one didn't speak up, you know, they just kept pa- passing the the baton or the mic or whatever it is that we were using. Um, but I think even those kids will come around as other kids begin to open up and and talk about um, some of the trials and tribulations that they have endured as 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 a student here in in, in, uh, in the K through twelve uh, Ben Lapine School District. My agency oversees the entire Tri-County. You know, we're going to try to focus our attention beyond Ben Lapine School District and include Redmond and later Crook County and later Jefferson County because they've got issues out there. I hope that they eventually will, will, instead of having a cadre of folks to work towards equity and diversity inclusion, that they can name an administrator to kind of manage that and, 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 and really see that notion through. Uh, it's been my experience that sometimes when you leave it up to a team, uh, things then don't get done as quickly as they need to. Right now, I believe in the elementary schools, and some of them, uh, Latino students are pushing uh, close to 25%, 30%. So that's going to very quickly change within five to 10 years. And, and we'll see more of that as they uh, matriculate through the K-12 through system. Finally, I asked what facilitators wanted to see moving forward at the schools and in the community. One thing the students wanted to see was more transparency and less censorship around discussing these issues. And yes, having a specific cohort of students of color talking about these things, that was incredibly powerful, but also needs to be happening with the white students in the whole school, school school-wide and district-wide, so that the people who weren't in that room that day know how to collaborate and move forward. And just further education district-wide was something the students talked about. Mm -hmm. And then also curriculum changes. So there's, as I use the word decolonization (laughs) intentionally in terms of looking at the narrative of how history is taught and representation. And then also um, training for the teachers because some of the students in my group talked about how there would be racist comments made and teachers would walk away. They didn't know what to say or they'd act like they didn't hear it. And if you're the only, if I'm the only brown person in a space um, and I, my teacher doesn't respond to a racist comment, it can be hard for me to go up and be like, hey, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. And so having some awareness and tools of how to respond to those either microaggressions and overt racist remarks would be really helpful. And connections for resources for the students, like we mentioned, the um, the kids whose parents potentially might be deported, and then also having um, paperwork be multilingual rather than just English. Mm -hmm. It's going home to parents and they only speak Spanish and it's in English and it's an emergency contact Mm -hmm. form. It's not helping our kids. The students also mentioned that they would love to have their student council presidents and all those different people uh, at these meetings as well because they are the leaders at their schools. Unfortunately, we know they said, uh, the kids, this is the kids' words, they were like, a lot of those things are popularity contests and they probably wouldn't want some of those representatives there because they're not truly all the, always the student leaders of the school. They may have the title, but they may not be. And they also mentioned one thing they want is for people to be able to come in and, and do what we did there, do the same thing we did at the schools. 
because we are going to meet, hopefully meet again here in the spring doing the same thing, but trying to follow up with some of the students and see where they're going, have they create organizations, not only for themselves, but just for of the of the Latino, like you said, African-American, or like you said, of students of color. They want all students to be involved in those things so they can talk about different things and have those discussions. I know a lot of schools have leadership programs and, you know, they have debate and just like those types of classes or clubs. But still, how much are you really, truly talking about those things? Right. Okay. Right. And that's the thing they're looking at. So that was some of the things the students yeah. mentioned to me, what they would love to see at their school. Or like the, like the one student said to me, why is it that we, as students of color, always have to go to the table and beg for people to start looking at our issues? Why is it just doesn't happen naturally? You know, <laughs> if I was the richest kid in the school, or if I was the kid that was donating to most money, or if I was that you would pay attention really quick. But since I'm the student of color, I'm asking you for you to just to listen to what I'm telling you. Why do I, I always got to be the one to step up and say, hey, there's a problem. Why everybody can't else can, can't see it happening? Especially, you know, why we always got to bring attention to it, one kid said. Why we always got to do it? We always got to step up and fight for ourselves. It's like nobody else is fighting for us. That was the one thing they mentioned, too, when they said they would love to see that happen at their schools. I mean, they, these kids were some passionate, like, they were, they were, they, they brought it. And I love that they brought it. And it was good to see. And some of them already started their own school student organizations within their school off of based on incidents or certain yep. things that may have happened in the school. I mean, a couple of folks at my table yep. already have student groups, not just not just students of color, but we're actively saying, you know, let's get everybody at the table. And so that was that was kind of a cool scene. I'll just say I'm very hopeful for the future of our students, having those students in that room, seeing those 70 students of color gather together, sharing their voices, sharing their strong voices, their passionate voices. They're engaged. They're ready to change the world. I think there's a misconception that we don't exist, whether we're adults or students here in Central Oregon, and being in that room was hopeful and inspiring because it was a very real, lively reminder that we do exist and that our voices do matter and our experiences do matter, and we I'd love for people to listen and see how those kids' experiences can shape our future. Um, and we can stop saying we don't exist. That's what I want. Bottom line, the kids spoke, and they gave us what they needed. And I think uh, here in the future, we're going to be just fine. Just continuing the conversation, expanding the conversation to other kids, um, other youth beyond high school, middle school for certain. Um, that's important. Um, getting possibly... Um, uh, other youth uh, that are part of uh, the dominant culture to be in those conversations. I think ideally we'd love to see the school system integrate curriculum such as Courageous Conversations as other parts of Oregon have as part of their everyday curriculum to talk about these uh, difficult subjects involving race and racism. Uh, I know the governor signed into law uh, the introduction of ethnic studies that uh, was supposed to happen uh, January 1 of last year. Again, we're a little bit slow behind the times in making that a reality, but we're hopeful. Organizers of the town hall are meeting with school and district administrators as well as students to determine what comes next. Needless to say, things don't change overnight. Michaela Young mentioned an incident at Mountain View High School that happened after the town hall. Um, there was kids outside in there in the parking lot, and some kid turned his truck on, and I guess the 
what's it called, like the dust from the exhaust pipe or something, got on the kid and it made him, you know, kind of dirty, like brown and black and stuff. And one of the kids put a rope around the kid's neck and they were pretending to be slaves and stuff. And my friend that goes there, he's African-American, he saw this and he instantly like flipped, like he was like, are you kidding me? Like, and people thought it was funny. They were recording it, putting it on the Snapchat when this is clearly like racist, like there's no way to put it. And he went over there and he was like, about to fight this kid but then a teacher come was like if you hit him you're gonna be expelled and then um the other kids they got suspended for like two days i think only two days they got suspended i think they should have been suspended longer because that's that's a little much act like that and jones song spoke about the need for more work to combat the notion of being colorblind something that i want to talk about is this idea of being colorblind that i've seen some people express you know I don't see race I don't see color and while I think those words are said with good intentions I think they also dodge the issue because saying you don't see race kind of is like saying I don't acknowledge that there's a problem and I know that people say it to mean oh I'm not going to treat you differently but when people are saying it to defend something else that they've said and saying Oh well, I didn't I didn't mean for this to sound bad. I don't see race. Instead of trying to say that you don't see color, why not just learn from the experience and try to understand how minorities feel instead of avoiding the issue. I think by saying you're colorblind, not only are you dodging the responsibility for your words, you're also kind of washing everyone into this vague kind of undeveloped identity when instead you could just say I do see color I do acknowledge that we have differences and different experiences and then learning from that and seeing what type of cultural differences or other experiences other people may have had I think that would be a lot more helpful than just trying to wish away the issue Special thanks to everyone who agreed to talk with me about their experiences at the town hall and in school, and to those who worked behind the scenes to make this show possible. Leanne O'Neill, Beth Hoover, Dalton Miller-Jones, Morgan Davis, Darren Vom Stieg. I can't say enough about all the students who took the time to talk with me. Each of them inspired me moving forward in the struggle for equality and freedom. And I want to dedicate this show to the Adderley family and to the memory of Deshaun Adderley, a Summit High School freshman who died on December 14, 2017. Thanks for tuning in to the Radical Songbook, sisters and brothers. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you have a greater appreciation for what students of color experience in our community. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.